in a sense, all of us have a priesthood. And in that, what that means is as a believer, what we are endeavoring to do is to get every single one of you in touch with your priesthood. Now that means a lot of things. I can't cover all that tonight. Maybe perhaps Barry can or at some other point get into that. But what I can say tonight to you is that it was never God's design for you to just go and sit in church. You know that, right? You've caught that in your heart, right? If, if we haven't gotten anything else over, I hope that you've really gotten a picture of that. Jesus actually didn't come to build a church. That, that's really the truest thing that I could say to you. The word church didn't even appear until like three or 400 years after the Bible was written. And the reason why I'm saying that tonight is that what he did come to build is so much bigger and brilliant than what our limited understanding of is. Now, I'm not anti-church, I don't want you to get me wrong, but what I'm saying is if we can pull everybody back into the reality that I'm looking at a kingdom of priests, every single one of you is a minister of the gospel. Right? Every single one of you carry a divine revelation of the Son of God that only the Father could give to you. And out of that, you are agents of a kingdom. You, you belong to another world, yet God has deposited you in this one so that you can represent Him in every aspect of your life. One of the greatest testimonies of that is the fact that His Holy Spirit left you with uh, at least 24 listed gifts in the Bible that are witnesses of his kingdom. And as you manifest these gifts, every time the gifts authentically operate through you, you are bearing witness to a king and his kingdom. That's powerful. If we could, if we could undo this institutional thinking, you realize in Scripture that no one ever said, what church do you go to? You, you realize that, that didn't exist, right? That's a modern invention. You realize that no one ever said, hey, I'm going to church this morning. That, that wasn't in their vocabulary, right? They lived out a witness and they understood, just like you and I are to understand, that we live the reality of the kingdom every day of our lives. You manifest it inside of your homes, and, and, and going to church is the easy thing. Going to a building is the, is the easy thing. Anybody can do that. But when it comes down to in our homes, walking out obedience and submission to the Lord, that's the greatest proof that you're saved. You can't claim, we can't claim that we, He's our King unless we live by His edicts, Right? We live kingdom culture because we obey him. And what did he say of those who obey him? He calls them his friends, friends of the bridegroom. And so what I want to leave you with um, tonight as we talk through these last three gifts is with the understanding that you truly are, every single person in this room, before you take on an identity of anything else, Joe, you're a business owner, but so what? You're, a, you're an ambassador of a superior kingdom. Um, every single one of you should be taking on and as you grow mature are beginning to grow up in your understanding. And you know what the, what the evidence of the, the fruit of that really is? 
The fruit of that is the more you begin to come into a greater revelation of who God says you are, the more you start to identify less with everything else. And, and as we are growing into the full measure and stature of Christ, what does that look like? Well, I can maybe give you one example, and it's probably the only one you need, that um, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing that. That's the full measure and stature of Christ. The, the, the full measure and stature of Christ is of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Um, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, we grow and we mature into the full measure and the stature. He's the measuring rod, not the next person sitting next to you, right? But if we can begin to see ourselves in the light of our elder brother Jesus, then we can start to understand that what he modeled for us is a life that was completely focused upon what the Father wants. And in our language, if I said that of anyone else other than the Father, it would sound narcissistic. It would sound um, totally um, you know, self-promoting, self-aggrandizing, yet in that, in saying that Jesus was completely focused upon what the Father wants, there is an understanding in that that the Father can't want anything except what is absolutely just, right, and holy. So it's impossible for God to be a narcissist because He only wants what is in alignment with His character and His nature. And so why I'm saying that to you tonight is the, the measure and the stature of Christ that you and I are working toward and as God is maturing in our lives has to bring us to a place where all we want is what the Father wants. That's, that's sort of the thing we're all saying and it's real. I mean, it's not like we're just saying the neatest little Christian cliche. I mean, I know once we put it on a t-shirt, we started running the risk of making it a cliche, but it's a true expression of our heart. That, that really is what this is all about. You realize that what it's all about is giving God what he wants. And, and, the, and, the, and the most mature Christian has learned to lay down what, what that person wants and to pick up what the Father wants. And you realize the repercussion of that means that in order for you to truly find the kingdom, to come into the kingdom, you have to lose everything else. Salvation is a free gift, perhaps in one sense, but it costs you everything. Luke 14 says, the great crowds followed Jesus. He'd just gotten done exhorting, and then the thought picks up, and it says, then great crowds followed Jesus, and then he turns around, and it's almost as if his intent was to thin out the crowd in order to find the disciples. Because he said, unless you hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you cannot be my disciple. That right there is antithetical to every American idea of church that exists. That, that, that God rightly demands that there is no greater love in your heart than, than your love for Him, thus it being the greatest commandment in all the world. But yet in that, He requires it. His, his glory insists upon it. That the greatest way you and I 
bring glory to God isn't singing the latest, greatest, top 40. It's loving nothing else like we love God. It's super simple. It's mind-blowing. And then, so, he goes on to say, unless you hate your mother, your father, sister, your brother, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you pick up your cross and what? Deny yourself and follow me, you can't be my disciple. So, notice right away in that passage, and I'm only just kind of exhorting right now, but, but notice he's exhorting, telling the crowd, rather than, hey, here's how you can be my disciple, he's telling them why they're not. And I can imagine that when he was done, and at the very end of it, he again reiterates the idea that in order to gain him, you really do have to lose every other worldly love that you have. This is probably the hardest saying of Jesus because in the American culture and in all the institutionalism that people find themselves in, it is more about getting than it is losing. And I, I just think about what Jonathan, I think it was Jonathan said this, I'll just wind this up here, is the, uh, uh, the streets of gold lined with everything that man calls precious, but to God it pales into comparison to the sun whose face shines brighter than a thousand suns. It's like we're going to be walking and, and not even giving a thought about the costliness of what he built his new city with because Jesus in comparison is so much greater than that. And it's almost like a witness to the rest of the world. It's like the manifold witness of God. Everything that the world runs and chases after is so little and so invaluable compared to the greatness of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world before the foundation of the world. And so tonight, why I'm even going down this pathway is to help you to realize that if you don't step into a spiritual identity, understanding a priesthood, understanding your calling before the Lord to show forth the praises of God, how do you do that? Through living under His government. You, you show forth the praises of God when you bless your enemies. You show forth the praises of God when you love those who despitefully use you. You show forth the praises of God by not needing in your heart to rule over people. And so, and then, of course, we show forth the praises of God when we, in the midst of the assembly, begin to declare His praises as one who's been redeemed. But tonight, the gifts of the Spirit are one of the most powerful manifestations and the witness to the fact that, do you realize, this is why the enemy, I know I just interrupted myself, but this is why the enemy fights the gifts so strongly. Because every time you operate in a gift, you are demonstrating the kingdom of God. Do you realize you're manifesting powers of the age to come when you operate in the gifts of the Spirit? You do that. I don't see anywhere where it says now the, the prophets and the apostles and the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists, now they only really get to operate in the cool gifts while you little people in the audience get to just do the simple things like that simple prophecy. No, this is every single believer. And so if, 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 we, if, I, if I have somehow managed in partnership with the Holy Spirit to get you to begin to think larger than just I'm a church person who goes to church. 
And if, I, if we can get you to start to see that, you are part of a supernatural organism that Jesus himself calls. Do you know um, one of the highest failure rates in the world is church planning? Do you realize that I think the last time I read, it was somewhere like 65 to 85% of all new church plants fail within the first five years. And so the idea is, is that church planting really isn't easy. Now, you can plant churches without God, and a lot of them do. Jesus has never been to some of these churches. I can tell you that right now. But what I'm saying to you is, is that when Jesus really does order and call for an ecclesia, then he sustains it, he brings the people, and he raises them up to begin to build and offer a spiritual supply. The, the house really isn't built by the work of the elders. you realize that? They're here to guide you in your building. And, you know, I was thinking about this on the way in. We pay tithes and offerings, and, and in the American mindset, you know what we do? We say we're going to pay leaders so they'll do the work for us. What are we paying you for if you're not doing it? As if somehow that absolves us from our priesthood and our responsibility to do our part. Now, I'm not against people being paid. That's not what I'm saying. I'm against the fact that we think that we can pay people to do our job for us. That's what I'm against. So tonight, what, if, I can, if you can walk away out of these eight weeks and start to see that what you are a part of is really not institutional. That's the facade. That's the, that's the covering over the real. It's like that's the veil over Moses' face so you couldn't see the glory on it. The, 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 the idea of church is just this thing that we, we are part of, but what's beneath it is a supernatural body that Jesus is building. And you're a part of that. He's added you to it. And the, the house, the building that he's building, can't truly be built unless you take your responsibility. So it has nothing to do with I give so you can do it for me, right? Now we give because we're part of something he's building. We're shareholders in that. But, but what I'm trying to get you to see is, is if you can take responsibility and realize that you're part of that responsibility uh, and you being in the building has really very little to do with it as much as you take your priesthood everywhere you go. Do you know the weirdest thing in the world to me is when we crossed over into this mindset that said, I need this family member to get saved, I better bring them to church. I can't tell you how many times in the last 30 years somebody would come up, I'd be, you know, I was on staff in several churches, they'd say, hey, so-and-so's here, could you preach them the gospel? Well, sure, it'd be my honor, but why aren't you doing that? Do you know what's God's desire for you to get people saved and to disciple them? It's not my job, it's your job. Can, can, but, and I'm, I'm, I don't want you to think I'm dogging you. It, it, I'm not trying to, to be mean to you. I'm telling you, we got this seriously wrong. You are a priest. You, you are a, a son of God. You're daughters of God. And you should be growing and maturing to the fact that, do you know in the early church what happens? You got saved. And then immediately you would start to disciple your entire family. It would start with your family first. It's, it's what the early church looked like was concentric circles. And the first one was you. The, set, well, the first one's Jesus, but the second one was your family. You started to develop an ecclesia in your home. You started walking out the realities of kingdom in the context of your family. Now, that's not the only thing, but it started there. 
And so, and then it began to work out to your neighbors, and then it began to work out to the to the people. And so, what you realize is ecclesia is about what you are and how you walk, not as much as I go to church. Now, I'm not downing that, but I'm saying if we can disconnect from that, we can reconnect back to the spiritual thing that God says we are, and the gifts of the Spirit will start to flow and manifest as the byproduct. All right, so you guys with me? That's for free. That was just the opener. All right? All right, so um, tonight we're going to finish up with Special faith, gifts of healings, and miracles. Now, I want to say um, a couple things. So let's just run through um, 1 Corinthians. So I have it listed here at the top. But again, uh, Paul says in verse 7, uh, page 49, he says, uh, To each person the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. So I just want to pause right there. Somebody said to me, I mean, I feel like it was even recently. They said, why is it that you have such a great um, ability to hear for everyone else, but it seems a lot harder to hear for you? Well, I can tell you why. Verse 7, because the gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of everyone else, not me. When I need the gifts of the Spirit, I need you to give it to me, not me. I can't prophesy to myself. Right? And you know why he does that? Because he needs me to be interdependent upon the body, not independent. That's the beauty of it. And so uh, he, the manifestation of the Spirit's given to the benefit of all. For one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. What we should be doing is asking who are the people that carry the message of wisdom. We, we should get to know them and understand them by their gifts. All right. To another, the message of knowledge. Who are the people that have the message of knowledge? According to the same Spirit, two different gifts, the same Spirit who operates them. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To, to another, the performance of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. It's one and the same Spirit distributing as He decides to each person who produces all these things. God gets to decide what gifts you have because we would never, we would always pick the gifts that we thought were the greatest one and that would make us look the greatest. And, and, and every time we try to reach outside of where God has gifted us, we are essentially saying, God, you can't take care of me better than I can take care of me. And what we need to do, rather than running to a conference here, there, and, and trying to figure out what gifts we can have or what we want to have, we should just simply start asking, God, what is it that you've given to me and I'm going to be faithful? Because it's only, can I just be honest, I'm going to be real me since the last night. Um, because it's only charismania that tells you that certain gifts are more glamorous and that you can build ministries and write books on. But to the Holy Spirit, every single one of these gifts are 100% just as important as the other. Now, Paul makes a case. He said, desire the best gifts. And in that context, what he's saying is desire the gifts that benefit the most in the assembly at one time. But understand, what, I mean, who's going to stand before the Lord and say, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm a little mad at you. I mean, you kind of just gave me the gift of serving, but what I really wanted was the gift of prophecy. I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like I got a little shortchanged on the gifts. But what we have to understand is there is a divine design 
in the way God has gifted every single one of you. And he absolutely tells us, if you actually go back and read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and you actually see a little bit of it in Romans 12, but he actually tells us that we should stay away from the carnal thinking that has me comparing my gifts to someone else's. Like, he, he forbids that. He says, carnal. Because without any one of those gifts, we are lacking. Paul said of the Corinthians, you come behind in no gift, that was pretty cool. Now, their problem was they were all crazy with them. But we're not like that. And so what we want to do is recognize that there is a divine design in what God has done with us. You know what I think is super cool? Um, yesterday was Sylvia's birthday. Happy birthday. We totally got her really good, by the way. I was, I was proud. But you know, um, Jeff comes to me uh, several weeks ago. He says, you know, um, I've never really been able to throw my wife a surprise party. One, because she's super intuitive and prophetic, and she kind of gets it before you, I mean, you have to really watch. But um, so we, we began to plot and strategize with Jeff to uh, give her a, a, just a birthday party of people that, you know, she loves. And I know every one of you love her, but, um, but anyway, so we decided rather than just throw her the, the typical birthday party, we told everybody that came, we want you, you can get her whatever gift you want, you don't have to, but at minimum, we want you to write her a card and we want you to tell her why she's amazing. We want you to build her up and we want, you, we want you to let the Lord encourage her through you. And then at the party, you know, at the tail end of it, we had everybody go around the room and start building her up as a person. That's the body. Hey, did I call on you? Calm down. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. What were we saying? Yeah. But folks, this is the body. This is what body life is. You gather together and you go, man, what if I intentionally got together with five or six of you and we share a meal together? Man, we could even be just totally radical and at the end of the meal actually take communion together. I mean, call me crazy, right? Celebrating what God did. And then what if we just said, you know, we're going to take some time now and we under the power of the Holy Spirit are going to build one another up in the faith. That's the government of God coming right into your home and you are demonstrating that in a world where fear has been unleashed globally and it's like every nation in the world right now is cooperating with demons. It's the weirdest thing ever. Not really. But, but then the people of God are carrying, you know, we're, 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 we're walking out this reality. I, I mean, I haven't even talked to anybody yet that, that lately that, that hasn't said to me, I've been going through a Hence warfare. And as the people of God, I, I pray about that, and I just feel like the Lord is saying He's allowing it because He's building our endurance. And uh, man, I, I tell you, when He's building my endurance, I get a little ugly. I had to go hide my prayer closet. Now, my wife will tell you I use any excuse in the book to be introverted, but that one was real. But what I'm saying is, I know, don't you be laughing at me. What are you doing? No. <laughs> But what I want to say is that as the people of God, you know, all the stuff's moving in the earth and God sees fit to not just shield us from it because he uses it to build us deeper and stronger in the spirit. 
And, you know, uh, it's like God, Jesus says to Peter, okay, yeah, whatever. After you've turned, now go strengthen your brother. Right? So after we have our little ugly moments, then we buck up. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. We take the spanking and say, yes, sir, may I have another? And then after we're done that, we go and strengthen our brothers. Right? Isn't that right, Barry? So this is what the people of God do. And so, so when you can begin to start to understand through these gifts... And, and, and if you begin to understand in your identity as the body, then you begin to live it both in the assembly when we gather and when we don't. And your mission becomes, how can I give God what he wants by lifting up and building my brother and my sister that's sitting next to me? That's the ecclesia. That's the beautiful body of God that when we begin to put down, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Yes, I know, you're too busy. If you're not in the body, you're too busy. You're too busy with things that don't carry eternity into it. Why, why am I with people all the time? Because I'm depositing heaven. Every chance I get, I'm trying to do something to put heaven inside of people because that has value. That has fruit that remains. Hanging out and watching Harry Potter is nothing. I, th I felt like I deserved a little bit better response for that. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling like some of you got convicted for watching Harry Potter. No, I'm kidding. But my point in saying that is we want to hang out and do things that have no eternal value whatsoever, right? Football. <coughs> anyway, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, nah, Brandon told me to stay away from basketball. That's anointed. All right, no. Nah. But you get the point. All right, let me, get, let me wrap this up here. Let me, let me actually make some points here. All right, so let's talk about discovering the work of miracles, gifts of healing, special faith. First of all, some definitions. Working of miracles, what, I'm going to define it this way, a supernatural manifestation that supersedes the natural laws of the universe. It's miraculous when it goes against and it supersedes nature. Uh, Jesus walked on water, that's a miracle, Right? You not being selfish, that's a miracle. No, it really is. Um, you listening to your wife, that's absolutely the highest level of miracles. Right? But the miraculous, the working of miracles, now I'm going to be honest with you and say they're not as normative as the rest of the other gifts. And I will, I will make a case to say that while any believer at any given time, as the Spirit wills, can operate in the working of miracles, I'm going to often tell you that I've see, where I see them the most, even in Scripture, is they authenticate a messenger, and they definitely authenticate the gospel. They demonstrate the gospel. And so where you're most often going to see the, the, the biggest manifestations of the miraculous is when, it, is when they center around the divine priorities of God. All right? Uh, so, so let's just, and, and the clearest example of that is I heard of a Bible study one time, and the, my pastor at this other church I used to work at years ago was super mad at him. But the husband came home, and he's like, oh, no, uh, the uh, oh, man, I don't even want to say that. But the ladies are all meeting again, and they were, they, it was just kind of super weird. And they couldn't find out where they are, and they were all in the bathroom, and one of them was in the bathtub trying to walk on water, and the others were praying in tongues to give her the faith to do it. No. And so the understanding is in order for God to supersede the natural laws, why does he do that? Because he proves, 
that he's God. That when he does a miracle, he proves that he's God and we're not. Now, I can tell you by my personal opinion, so I'll give you that. You can take it or leave it. But generally, you don't walk in the miraculous without a special gift of faith to do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you tonight that in order for, a, for the miraculous to happen, the gift of faith also has to be present. And the reason why is because you wouldn't do it ordinarily in your own faith. It would be too crazy. Smith Wigglesworth punching people in the stomach is out of this world. Like, it's insane. Yet, he had a gift of faith that allowed him to do that and see the results. John G. Lake, he's like, I believe so powerfully in the miracle-working power of God. He, he had him put, put her hand, I think it was, under a microscope. He prayed, and they could literally see the cells responding as he prayed. I think they, wouldn't it bury, didn't they also measure him speaking in tongues, and they were measuring his brain activity? Was that John G. Lake? Yeah, and they could actually see the activity going on in his brain. But again, while I'm not saying that this is really reserved for the special elite forces in God's kingdom, what I would say is it is directly centered around the providence and the purpose of God as he sees fit to do it. All right? So that covers working of miracles. Now, gifts of healings, we would say, is a manifestation of the healing power transferred from one to another. I'll get into that. And then special faith is a temporary endowment of faith that is above and beyond the level of faith in which the person normally operates. Now, you realize that you can't be born into the kingdom without a measure of faith. You receive a measure of faith when you are truly born again. And I want to leave you with one thought about faith that is super important. I don't know if, if, if theologians have a name for this, but what I see in Scripture are, are these specific places where God teaches us to focus on one thing, and as the byproduct, we get the thing that we're tempted to make the main thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then you'll get all the other things the Gentiles are chasing after. All right? Um, pursue love, make that the main thing, but desire spiritual gifts, get that as the byproduct of the main thing, right? And when we start talking about faith, what we don't really do is work on building our faith. Because Hebrews says, faith comes by hearing, right? So the way to get faith is to unlock and open up your hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. So the way that I gain and open up my spiritual hear, he, hearing is I digest and I hide the Word in my heart. And as I hide it in my heart, it opens up my hearing. And the fact that I can hear God, it produces faith. This is where faith movement got all wrong. They're like, oh man, faith, 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 faith. we got to work our faith. I'm going to sew a tie so I can get a tie. I'm going to give away a car so I can get a car. And then it was all this stuff, faith, faith, faith. And I remember being a little while in that, and they were so focused on developing your faith. And I remember thinking, there's something drastically wrong here. If he's talking about the faith of a mustard seed, what are we doing? But what I'm trying to say to you is, is the number one way you get faith, you ready? It's going to change your life. And really, you guys ought to give me an offering for this, because it's worth it. 
The number one way you gain faith, you ready? You have a level of faith that is commensurate to the level of your obedience. You cannot have faith outside of where you are not willing to obey God. And what I want to say to you then is if you feel that you lack faith, focus on your submission and your surrender, and the faith comes as the byproduct. Now, how do I do that? I do that by, number one, posturing in my heart that every time I read the Word of God, I don't walk away with it from it without first purposing to obey what I read. Don't just you know, get up in the morning, read that little devotional passage, and then fly out the door. No, I'm going to the Word of God, and I'm purposing in my heart to learn to obey what I read. James says I'm a doer of the Word. And so faith, the things of the Spirit, all come as the byproduct for my heart being postured the right direction with God. I don't have to figure out how to have faith when I'm in obedience. It comes to the byproduct. Why? Because in my surrender and in my submission, I'm trusting God to provide for me everything that I lack because it's His, not mine. I don't have to take care of it. I don't have to figure out how to generate it. I just have to submit. I found that um, in my early years, um, I was really motivated by a lot of different teaching, but one of them talked about building a strong spirit and the spirit of might and power and all that. I wrote a cool song about it. Um, but anyway, but in my latter years, I realized that the, the, the key to becoming strong was really learning how to lean. That there was never going to be a point in time where Derek Kirkman would be strong enough to ever produce what God want. Where I had to become strong is in my will to surrender. The only strength I need is my resolve has to be strong to live in submission to God. And so in that, when my heart becomes strong enough to posture myself in weakness toward God, then I live in surrender to Him, and I don't have to be strong and take care of myself. Now, that's a challenge. All of hell wars against me to have that not happen, and you too. But that's all about faith. Now, I want to just say a couple of things. I'm going to center in. I want to, I want to give you two things about the gifts of healing. First of all, Gifts of healing is interesting. The word gifts is plural. And healings is an interesting thing. What I want to encourage you with, and I'm going to jump back to special faith here because I want to end on that. But what I want to talk to you about on the gifts of healing is that it's interesting that, number one, one person doesn't generally have the ability to heal. It's not the gift of healing. Right? It, when you have the gift of healing, you have this ability to just heal people. No, it's a plural, it's gifts, it's multiple gifts. So, within this category, I believe that the Lord will endow certain people with abilities to heal certain things. And I've seen this played out multiple times. I would also even include as a, as a witness to that that I believe within the gifts of healing, there is a gift for emotional healing. I, I've been the recipient of that. I can't explain it. 
other than the person who worked my wife and I through the greatest healing in our lives was prophetic to the core when she was in her moment working you through. But outside of that, she didn't seem like she had a prophetic bone in her body. But man, you sit down at that table, and she's like, all right, we're going after it. Like, she'd call me up on the phone sometimes, and I'd say, hey, how you doing? And immediately she'd go, what's wrong? And I'm purposefully trying to be as happy and perky as I can. But, but she has this gift. She could just discern. It's, it's multiple gifts. And I believe she actually had a gift uh, uh, for emotional healing. That's why everybody came to her. She wasn't really that great a counselor, would you think, honey? I mean, it wasn't that she was sitting down just giving you all this counseling. It was that, man, when she started praying with you, like something would happen in your life. And so in the gifts of healing, what we need to understand is, I believe, now again, this is my personal opinion, and again, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about, well, this is the gifts of healing. You see multiple examples of healings. But I can tell you that within the nature of, what, of how I understand the gifts, he doesn't give it all to one person. He distributes multiple gifts widely so that in many situations, uh, there will be a person who has consistent track record with healing certain things. Now, I think, again, I, I'm not trying to give you a law or a, a put God in a box, but I'm saying the normative way that that happens often is some of you could actually have a gift of healing and may not even know it. And so what I would like to encourage you to do with this gift or with the potential, because here's the, here's the bottom line for me. I don't know if I've ever prayed for anyone and they've gotten healed. I don't know if I can remember. Can you remember, honey? Where, where I don't think, I, don't, I can't remember. All right, but that doesn't stop me. I don't ever say, man, I don't have the gifts of healing. Let somebody else do it. No, I will pray until my dying day for people to get healed. So in the end, I don't want you to ever wonder, well, do I have the gifts of healing? No, pray the prayer of faith. Pray believing and asking God to heal every single time. Don't ever back down from an opportunity to pray for someone else's healing. Uh, matter of fact, don't ever back down from an opportunity to pray in general. Because every time we pray, the potential for his kingdom to come arrives in our prayer. In a sense. And so in the gifts of healings, what I, would, what I would suggest is the Bible talks about healing at multiple levels. We've done elders meetings. If any are sick among you, let them call for the elders. That is one pathway that is, that is a pathway to healing that the Bible says can come through a functioning eldership. Um, I, I think we should do more of those. I think we should do them regularly. Why not? The, it's in the Bible. Let's do it. I think we should do it lots on Sunday mornings because who doesn't come in the building that they don't need somebody to agree with them over their sickness, right? As a supernatural people, every single one of us should be stepping up and wanting to pray for the healing of others, right? These signs shall follow those that believe, right? You believe, right? And so nowhere does it say the elders or the pastors or anybody else are the only ones that can pray for people and see results. No, you do that. And probably if, you, if we would all start to take more risks and be aggressive, or maybe active, maybe that's a better way to say, active in our ability and the desire to want to see the kingdom of God come, the powers of the age to manifest in people's lives, maybe we'd see more healings because we're praying more for healing over people. Why wouldn't God do it? If he's in a body here, 
where, where this body wants to give him what he wants, why would he hold back healing? He wouldn't. So what if every single one of us started to just begin to pray for the sick? And it's not your lengthy, super charismatic prayers. I'm telling you, some of the best prayers ever are help. Amen. But what I'm just saying, what, what I think I want to tell you more than giving you a lot of um, thoughts on the gifts of healing, why not just start praying for people to get healed and let God take care of the rest? Is that all right, Barry? Why don't we become a people who every chance we get rise to the occasion to begin to pray to see someone healed? And you know what I think will happen? Is God will start exposing people who actually have this gift and they're going to start realizing they, didn't, they never even knew it. And, and, and again, I've seen people, like I know, where they're talking about are they praying for cancer and they could never see anything happen. But the next thing you know, like I've seen them every time this one person prayed, and it was a real thing. Like they had this thing with backs, and you'd literally see their legs shoot out. It was crazy. And they weren't doing anything to do it. Like they weren't doing anything, manipulate it. And like sometimes one leg would be shorter than the other, and boom, you'd see it pop out just like that. It was crazy. Um, then there were so, oh, it was neat. I mean, it was awesome. But then, um, so I, what I want to challenge us with on this thought is to let's, let's be a people of prayer that pray every chance we get for God to heal people. Is that a good, is that a good way to leave that? All right, now, working, uh, now I'm going to jump into special faith here, and I want to say a couple of things. I believe that miracles, so let me read through this real quick. So in the Amplified, the gift of faith, it says it this way, the gift of faith is a gift of the Spirit to the believer in order that he might receive miracles. Gift of faith will allow a person to believe her, God, sorry about that, typo, uh, in such a way that God honors their word as his own. Whatever is spoken or desired by the individual being used will come to pass. Now let me, let me kind of sort of rephrase that. What that saying is faith, I believe if you want to understand what special faith really is, it is an endowment of faith that comes on a person that allows them to step into what God wants and give it to them on a big grand level. I, I know I, there was a, a, a missionary, a brother from, um, I believe it was Uganda, he came to our church, I think remember at Grandview, honey, and um, he was talking about how he, he got this opportunity. He was standing before, I believe it was a tribe, and he was from Uganda. And he was talking about how um, the Lord brought him right before the chieftains. I think there was an el a council of elders in this tribe. And uh, he'd been praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. And uh, the Lord gave him one. And uh, just as he stood up there and was getting ready to address him, he forgot everything he was going to talk about. And what came out of his mouth was so that you will know that the Lord is... Um, God, by this time tomorrow, uh, by this time, uh, this place will be flooding with rain, and it hadn't been raining there for like four or five years. And that brother tells the story. He said he went home and fasted and prayed and wept before God because <laughs> that spirit of faith lifted off of him, and he was just a, a normal man, and he was praying for his life because he knew these guys would probably take his life because they were, they were as lost as you could be. He gets up there and he comes back and it's like, and I'm just abbreviating the story. He's looking at his watch. They're all, the whole village is gathered and he's right there. I mean, and it, it was exactly 12 noon when he said it and it's 11.59 and nothing. And then all of a sudden, a cloud the size of a man's hand and then by 12 o'clock on the dot is an absolute downpour. 
And the rest is history. He was able to preach the gospel. So that's miraculous. In my right mind, there's no part of me that would ever say tomorrow morning at 12 or tomorrow at 12 o'clock, it's going to rain here. But yet the spirit of faith dropped in him. Now that's an extreme story. But you know how I think the spirit of faith or the gift of faith operates more normatively? It's, it's in the simple things. Like those are the extreme examples. And I believe, again, while I've given you some guardrails for the gifts, understand that the Lord can manifest a gift anytime he wants. And he's not going to say, and you're not really going to say, um, well, I don't have that gift. He's going to say, so what? Right? And we talked about that. The Lord, can, the, a gift can come up upon a person for a specific moment in time because he wants something to happen and then lift and they never use it again. All right? But I'm going to tell you this, the, the spirit of the gift of faith, special faith, I believe is more prevalent than what most of us realize. Do you think about that moment, that you, that introverted you, that you don't like talking, you don't like being the center of attention, and then all of a sudden, some coworker says something to you, and that f- spirit of faith kicks in, and before you know it, you're starting to proclaim the gospel with boldness. But you wouldn't have done it ordinarily, and after it lifts, you're like, what in the world did I just do? Can't the spirit of faith operate in even some of what we would say the most mundane areas of your life? Yes, they can. And so what I want to challenge you with is I would like to challenge you to be aware, and I think it's even okay And to begin to pray into, Lord, where my faith ends, bring that supernatural faith that's needed. Because the Lord's never going to ask you to do something that he doesn't first supply the substance to get it done. And every single time, that substance is faith. That we can't even please God without faith. That there are times when I believe some of you will come into a worship service The cares of life are weighting you down. Something happens. Maybe God lights a spark, just a little spark of faith in your heart, and it ignites it. And suddenly he causes you to rise above the discouragement that you're in, and he causes you to begin to set your mind on things above. And all it took was a little spark of faith that you didn't walk in here with, but he ignited it. He gave you that little little push of grace that pushed you over into the Spirit and got you out of the flesh. I think it's as simple as that. I think it's as simple as the Lord putting you in situations where you can become a witness to Him and your natural fear might want to override that and the Lord can begin to move in your spirit and suddenly you have a boldness that you didn't have before. I believe that many of us, if not all of us, potentially have operated in special faith and didn't even know it because it's in small things and it's in the big things. And what I find that God supplies the need every single time he wants something to happen. So I know that tonight um, there's three types of faith, saving faith, the fruit of faith, and the gift of faith. Saving faith you had to get when you got saved. The fruit of faith is what you learn to manifest through your maturity. You learn how to produce a fruit. Did you realize that the fruit of faith can only be produced by those who are authentically saved? That we can mimic behavior, but it won't have the divine quality that only a believer can manifest because of the agency of the Holy Spirit working through them. 
And you begin to manifest a fruit of faith because you, out of your history and your walk with God, you begin to walk with God and He causes your faith to rise because as you submit and surrender and walk with Him in fellowship, faith is the automatic byproduct of that. I can't tell you, one of my most favorite people in this church I want to brag on every time I get is Elizabeth over here. This woman, you need to get around her and let her pray for you. Like if she hasn't prayed for you, what's going on in your life? I think it was like the first Sunday I got here, I, I leaned over and there's this ruckus over here. She's got her hands on something like, the blood of Jesus! And that woman was getting delivered. But you know why I'm bragging on her? Because there are saints that have walked with God all their lives. And I'm telling you, some of these saints have a sway with God. They're hidden people. But they've spent so much time in the presence of God, their character, their lives, their prayer life has been conformed, and they pray right in the heart of God. And you want to be around people like that. It's contagious. Uh, and, and she's honoring, man. She's like, I, I feel a demon in here. I'm going to start praying for people. Like, and I'll never forget, there was one time she was praying for some lady. Um, I, I don't even remember who she was, but it was, it was over by the sound booth. And uh, you know, then someone else tried to jump in, and it was kind of like, yeah, what they were saying was kind of goofy. And then she went right back to just pleading the blood and getting them saved and delivered and all that. And I was like, that's what we need. We need a church full of that. But, but there's a fruit of faith that I believe operates in her life because she's walked with God for years. You, you, faith is the byproduct in that regard, the fruit of faith, of simply walking with Jesus and knowing and, and Him demonstrating that His character is true and that He's not a man that He should lie. And out of that history, every time He brings you through. You know, Sylvia last night, they were talking about two big things came out of her. She's an overcomer and her signature in the spirit, you know, like Ralph Lauren and all these crazy people. You know, they have signature um, clothing lines. They have signature perfumes and colognes. But you have a signature in the spirit. Do you realize you have a uniqueness about you that's a signature that's unique to you? Now, the gift maybe you share with other people, but the way you operate in it comes through a signature individuality of who you are. And so her signature in the spirit, she's a divine encourager. Every chance she gets, she's encouraging somebody. Man, I get, she encourages me to death sometimes. I love it, though. But what I'm saying is there's this unique thing about her. And then, then this fact that if you know Sylvia, she's overcome a lot, man. She's beat cancer a couple times. The Lord has. I mean, she's an overcomer in just about every area of her life. And out of the places where she's overcome, she now has an ability to minister freedom and deliverance out of those areas. What the enemy meant for her destruction, God raised her up. And out of the faith that God gave her to overcome, and it wasn't her faith, God had to supply it, right? But understand that out of your history with God, every time what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, it's true, but only when the Lord's authoring it, right? Only when you're walking with Jesus. If you're not walking with Him, it ain't going to make you stronger. It's going to make you bitter. But what I'm trying to say tonight is that we, we walk in this measure of faith, the fruit of faith, out of our history. And so if you need more faith, walk with God. Don't try to generate more faith. And, and understand that in any situation that you find yourself in, if you're not at least a little concerned that you don't measure up, then you're probably arrogant and lifted up in pride. I remember the first time I ever, they, they had me like, it was like the first uh, month or two it felt like when I got here. They're like, hey, why don't you uh, preach on Wednesday nights or something like that. And I remember the first night 
I got up there. I, my legs started shaking so bad. I started stuttering. I was getting nervous. I couldn't even look at people. And then all I could do was just read through my notes because I didn't want to look at anybody. And that was what, like two years ago. I, I don't know why. I talk all the time. Like, I've got a big mouth. I can't be quiet sometimes. But that night, I don't even know what it was. I, I didn't feel like I was trying to impress anybody, but there was just something that made me nervous. But... But what I'm saying is, you know, somewhere partway, I think it was like the last sentence I made, I finally felt a little better about things, and I actually looked up at people. But my point is, is that all of us live in a natural weakness, and it's by design, because the moment we become naturally strong, we get lifted up in arrogance, and we lean on our own strength, whereas in our fleshly weakness, we make room for God to become strong in us. A Brandon Priest, a brilliant message on that a while back. That we, we boast in our weakness, not because we're weak people, because not, not that we're immature and not that we're not growing in the Spirit, but we boast in our natural weakness because there's nothing in the natural that can make us produce what God's looking for. Do you realize that, right? There's no amount of your natural ability that can give God what He's after. And so what we do is we submit and we yield, and I'm going to close here. We submit and we yield, and in that place of becoming weak, just like everything else in God's upside-down kingdom, we are learning to live in the opposite spirit of the world because the way the world defines it is demonic wisdom, right? If I want to be big in the world, I have to be strong and I have to climb the ladder of success. I have to be very motivated. I'm going to walk all over everybody I can get because I deserve to be at the top. But Jesus said the exact opposite. You conquer the world the way I did by becoming the servant of all, not the ruler. And so in closing tonight, um, understanding that in special faith, in the working of miracles, and in the gifts of healings, the doorway to all of it is to simply truly walk with God and to let Him be the one that initiates the operation of the gifts. And you know, when I started off, I, I started realizing prophecy was a big thing, so I was looking for people to prophesy. And then I found myself many times when I would go to people and start prophesying to them, I would work it up and I would start just saying things out of my imagination. But, but I think God was okay with it, and I was, I was smart enough not to say anything crazy. But in the process of that, what I didn't understand about any of the gifts was I was working too hard to get them. And as the Lord began to deal with my identity in Him and teaching me how to live out of God, you know, maybe the better way to say it is when I was an orphan, I used to try to live for God. But when I became a son, he taught me how to live from God. Let that really sink in. Living for God is me being strong in my own strength. Living out of God is me living out of His strength. When I was an orphan, I used to pray 
for God to bless what I was doing. But when I became a son, I simply got into what God was blessing. You got to think about that for a minute. When I was a son, I simply realized that my eternal reason for living is what my father wants, not what I want. And so instead of asking my father to bless what I want, I simply got into what he already said he wanted. And by the way, one of the greatest manifestations of that is when you start to live your life that way. You ready? You'll stop trying to give God what you want him to have, and you'll start giving him what he said he wanted. And one of the greatest manifestations of that is in worship. The biggest mistake we make, we want to give God what we want him to have, rather than simply giving him what he already said he wanted. Romans 12.1. All right? And so I, I want to close with this. So who's going to come up? You coming up? Yeah, you, you play? So I want to do this. Can I put the two elders on the spot? Can I put you guys on the spot and put you to work tonight? What's that? That is what I do. I feel like I'm really good at giving them work to do. No, I'm kidding. So here's what I would like to do, uh, if, you, if you guys are okay with it. It would be kind of awkward if you're not, though. Um, so I would like to commission this group here tonight. Can we do that? And um, I, would like to, um, I, I would like to do this. I would like to activate the gifts. And rather than just praying over one particular one, I would like to, to really commission this body as a body who's activated and, and, and empowered with the gifts of the Spirit. And we would, I would like to commission you forth to go into this body and to do your job. And you know what Ephesians 4.11 says this? That he's given a pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles. What? For the equipping of the saints. What? For the work of the ministry. You are ministers. And so you've sat under eight weeks of this teaching, and how could we end it? How could we not end it by laying hands on you and commissioning you into your job and into your function. And you, some of you may not know exactly where that is, but all you really need is the right posture in your heart that say, Lord, I will go, I'm willing. And then all you have to do from there is take your responsibility to begin to build up the people in this body, and I promise you, the gifts will start happening as the byproduct. They can't other than do that. And then you know what will happen? It's just like riding that bike. The Lord takes the training wheels off, and before you know it, you're riding that bike without training wheels. Isn't that awesome? So Barry and Brandon, will you guys come up? Can we do that? And so what I want you to do, if you would allow us tonight, we're going to commission you, and if, uh, what I'd like for everybody to do, if, if, you, if you want, I want you to just form a single line up here for those of you who would like to take part in this, and if you don't, it's okay, you're not less spiritual, it's all good. So if you don't want to come up, then you lift your hands out to these people, and we're just going to go over, and we're going to begin to pray over each and every one of you guys, and we're going to commission you into your function and your place in this body. Is that all right, Barry? All right. So, um, Lisa, you go ahead and sing. We're going to go ahead and just go right down the line. And if those of you, uh, just come right on up.